Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Tick, 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 tick. That's a news uh, tick, tick, t- uh, wire thing. That's what I want the show to begin with. Ah, and there's an, it's a news, news flash. flash. Yeah. 100 people are going to die of drug overdoses today, and we've got to stop this. All, every single one of them is unnecessary. I'm Bob Forrest. Chuck, want to I'm, introduce I'm yourself? I'm Chuck Davis. And, uh, and we're chemical dependency specialists, and this is the Don't Die podcast because we want people to get into treatment, stop dying, and and it's just ridiculous. Chuck just brought, uh, told me, and I looked it up this morning. We just eclipsed today whatever day it is, April or March. Is it April or March? It's April, April 11, 2017. We now have a th- 100 people a day dying of drug overdoses in America. That's one every 15 minutes. Right. right? That, that wasn't even up-to-date numbers. That was the most recently available numbers. So it's probably worse it's now. It's clicking up. And it's there's only 3.8 deaths per day, uh, per, per 15 minutes, from gun violence, and we have a million laws about guns. We have all kinds of background checks, all kind of types of of government assistance for guns and guns and guns. And you hear about it every election, everything. Everybody focuses on guns, but drugs, nothing, no mention of it. And this, to me, is the continuing stigma of drug addicts. They do it to themselves. You know, they've been resistance for decades against needle exchanges to keep people from spreading HIV and hepatitis. There's been resistance against naloxone recently, which is a drug that you can give somebody who's OD'd from opiates and and flush their system. There was resistance here in L.A. County from that because I was trying to deal with that, Chuck. They, uh, once again, the same old story. You give out Meloxone, it encourages drug use, irresponsible drug use, right? Right. So we right. have a, a kind of, prius, you know, just a really backwards way of dealing with addiction in America. And now, um, all of a sudden, the last two months, there's been this movement and talk about the overdose death rate and and opioids and and what to do and there's you know trump's big on it he's got christie and and jared kushner on it uh dealing with the opiate overdose death and i kept wondering why why all of a sudden now i've been screaming about it for 10 years you know why i think it is is because now i hate to say it but upper middle class white kids are the ones dying the most yeah, I hate the to j- say junkies it. don't look like they used to. Yeah, working class white kids yeah. or, or or multi-ethnic kids, it doesn't ring as much to politicians as when it starts happening in the white suburbs all across America. Because we've known about the opiate overdose death. It happened immediately upon the release of OxyContin in West Virginia, I believe. There was this big story right when it came out 15, 16, 17 years ago of all these kids were dying, but they were all poor coal miner kids and, you know, the fabulous whites. You ever seen that documentary? <laughs> no, Have you seen like, it? No, but I like, oh, oh. oh Jesco. Yeah, Jesco yeah, Jesco White. White. Yeah. I love that. The last of the dancing it was, mountain it was, men. Yes, it's kids <laughs> like that, so nobody gave a fuck. Right. But now all of a right. sudden it's Ted Cruz's sister and it's upper middle class and, and, and white suburban people are dying of drugs and now all of a sudden politicians are, hey, I'll take what I can get. 
long as politicians are paying attention and we want to do something and uh, and we want to reduce this rate, that's what uh, I think needs to happen. And I, I've been talking about it for years because the kids that I'm dealing with in treatment centers who are dying, they don't really know how to use drugs safely, Chuck, would you say? Absolutely. <laughs> that, that's the biggest problem. I mean, th this is what's crazy and this is how it's changed is people used to be junkies and they were homeless and they were they were survivors they were hustlers and, and they knew and, how to fucking take care of business and these kids are uh, it's 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 heartbreaking because they're 18 19 20 years old they're in their 10th or 15th treatment program um they've overdosed five or six times they have zero fear of death and it's not about getting high as much as it is um i don't know if it's a game of playing with the the death thing or is it, I, it's absolutely insane to see somebody that looks like they could be on the football team or the water polo team, but they've died five or six times. And well, they're youngsters. Dr. Drew describes it as old school junkies didn't want to die because they wanted to continue getting high. So there was this, this kind of, I don't know, it wasn't positive, but it wasn't this, I don't care about anything, there's no hope, all this hopelessness, helplessness that I see in this generation of addicts. They don't really live to use, use to live. No, they just kind of use, use to, to not live. It's yeah, yeah, die. yeah. And so we got, got to give them some hope. Um, yesterday I had some time because I was on the, uh, an assignment and uh, the, the number that, that blew me away because this, this guy was, I was, this guy's 29 years old and we were talking about um, opiate use and drug use and the, the number, when I saw that there was over a half a million deaths between 2000 and 2014, half a million just straight overdose deaths, not including the drug violence, not including the fell off a bridge and into the river, not walked into traffic, not, um, not including um, alcohol or cocaine or anything else, half a million opioids, straight overdose deaths. That's a number that's, that's, that's the population of uh, Long Beach. A friend of mine used to say 500,000 people. He goes, that's a city the size of Long Beach. Imagine that population Crazy. disappearing. Well, we're going to have a whole, I, I don't know what the percentage is. If, if, oh, if drug overdose death is the leading cause of death of the, of the generation between the ages of 18 and 34 right now, which I think is the millennials or most, it, it laps over, but it is a lot of millennials. If the leading cause of death is drugs and nothing is done and nothing stops it, you're going to lose, what, 5 10% of the millennial population? It's like frightening. And, and only for the last two months have I seen people really concerned. I've met mothers the last 10 years whose kids died, you know, all over the country. And they just, they're left with this guilt and this kind of social stigma that, they did something wrong or or you know their kid was a dirty drug addict and i'd have mother after mother try to tell me bob he wasn't like you which they would they would inevitably come to that like what was he not he right. was not like a real drug addict he was a high school football player he was the whatever the whatever the thing is at the prom he was a great student he was a prom yeah the prom king he was this, he was that. And, you know, and traditionally for generations, the kids who ended up doing heroin were the kids like me at Marina High School on Stoner Bridge, right? I right. wanted to be on drugs. I didn't want to be prom king. I didn't want to be on the football team. It was part of a whole 
kind of psychopathology of addicts and addiction in America. And all of a sudden, because of Oxycontin, I believe, majorly, pain management clinics, pain scale, big pharma, opioids, um, it changed who, who was exposed and who became drug addicted. And so now it was everybody. And, and that's one of the most uh, disturbing things is that, that the news reports that I, that I see, not just the stuff I look up on the internet, but the things that I see on the mainstream television talk about there was faulty testing data that was given to the, the pharmaceutical companies, that it was some uh, mistake. And that's how they decided well, they that buried there, would, it. there would be no... Um, I know, but the fact that this still isn't a... It's not front page news that there was... Whoa, there was faulty testing data and that opiates were supposed to be safe. Well, you know, the reason that there was um, heroin is because morphine was too addictive. Yeah. I mean, and they've been trying to create a non-addictive opiate. Has everybody, have you seen this, this, or read this book or documentary, Dreamland or something? Everybody tells me to see it. No, I haven't. I've been living it for the last 15 years, so I get, I get that it, this guy really apparently wrote a book called Dreamland about this whole space and this whole subject. But the question, we're now out of who's to blame. I know who's to blame. Purdue Labs, pain management doctors, anesthesiologists who started pain management. They're going out of business. Purdue's not, but pain management is. The pain scale will be revoked here pretty soon. Is that so the what happy face? Yeah, happy face. <laughs> they, they the most the unscientific fucking bullshit ever instituted in American medicine. The patient reports how much pain they're in on a scale of 1 to 10 based on happy faces and sad faces. It's yeah. the most retarded thing in the no, world. No, it, it's got to be science. There's got to be science. There's got to be, you know. It's science. But so, so all, all of what caused it will wash away, I'm pretty sure, because it seems to be already, right? What's sad is people, there are a percentage of people, very small percentage of people in America who do have chronic pain. They're not going to get help anymore. Because the chronic pain market was spread so wide to anybody who bumped their knee or had bad PMS or any other kind of ridiculous self-reporting pain, right? So now they're just going to clamp it down. They've clamped it down in New Jersey. Drew and I are going to New Jersey on May 1st. So they, you can't prescribe opiates in New Jersey for more than five days. They're going the exact opposite way. Now people are not going to get opiates at all, which will create the heroin epidemic that we have. And we have these kids or this generation, young adults, adults, who don't know how to use drugs. And so that comes to the second part of the don't die message, which is, you know, the first part is don't mix these drugs together. You can die. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody's ever told you that, but if you take Clonopin and Oxycontin, you can die. It doesn't or, seem or like that message got across. Anything that ends with a PAM. That's yeah. what these guys are. Benzodiazepine and opiates, contraindicated medications, you will die. One day you will not wake up. That's a fact. Now, on the other hand, now since they're cutting off the opioid supply, and they have been for about three years, it made for a ripe harvest of heroin addicts out of the, out of the prescription drug epidemic. Mm-hmm. So now you've got this huge demand for heroin of which i'm i'm sure the cartels are pumping it out as fast as they can get it but the street level dealers are trying to fatten their their 
their weight it's called right, so they're right, trying right. to take a piece of you know four gram piece of of tar heroin and make it six grams right so they're mixing it with the co- the traditional things coffee and brown sugar and stuff like that but they're also mixing a pill or two of fentanyl right. chinese illicit unregulated five dollar a pill fentanyl and they're crushing them up and mixing them in with the tar heroin. And I, I, I give this example. Like, I used to cut heroin. So I'm not the greatest chemist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not really doing it like Big Pharma is. I'm just mushing this stuff together watching TV, not really paying attention. And then I'm cutting it into pieces. And one piece is going to have a lot of fentanyl in it. And one piece ain't going to have much fentanyl at all. And... You play the Russian roulette game of just got out of rehab, going to buy dope, get the wrong bag with too much fentanyl in it, go shoot it behind a Walgreens by yourself, and you don't wake up. And unfortunately, that happens way too often. It really does. Way too often right now. How many... um, Orange County in particular. I think there's like 500. There was more overdose deaths in Orange County in 2016 than murders. How about that? That's. I, I don't. I mean, that would be great if murder the murder rate was going down, <laughs> but that's not uh, the situation. Um, no, no, murder rate is staying <laughs> staying static. It's staying the same. It's just the opiate over the overdose death is going way up. And so, you know, it's it's crazy. So we want to have a talk a talk show. We want to talk to moms and kids and people on drugs. One of the things that obviously comes into the conversation is so many of these young people, these 18 to 34 year olds who are dying have had, I would say moderately good drug and alcohol treatment at one time or another in their life. And it's not working for them. So that's another thing I want to explore. That's why, um, you know what one of the biggest Google search pay-per-click things is right now? Alternative rehab. So right. people want an alternative to a traditional absence-based 12-step treatment. Anything They're seeking other than it sobriety. Out. Anything, anything other than, other than anything sobriety. Other than, yeah. And so um, I always just think, well, you got two problems, right? I want everyone to be sober and thrive. I don't want people to overdose and die. Somewhere between those two beliefs and wants of mine, you have to have proper assessment of motivation of what what the patient is willing or not willing to do what the parents these helicopter mom and dad helicoptering parents are willing to do uh, and not do right Mm -hmm. because a lot of parents can't and i got this brought up to me a couple years ago by a parent i was trying to get to cut his kid off and she was a girl and i had never really thought about that i just had my first girl um kid myself and it is different a girl girls kid. yeah girl <laughs> like a girl that's get like you find yourself thinking like she's gonna grow up and some boy's gonna try to date her like that's fucked up i've thought about that over the last couple months so and he was saying bob if i cut her off you know what she'll do and i thought oh my god i haven't really thought of that how does a father cut off her his drug addict daughter knowing that she might or very well might turn to prostitution. Mm-hmm. That's a hard one. Or worse, you know, move in with a dealer. 
Yeah, moving. Well, that's another form of. Well, it is. You know, so I understand parents' dilemma of what to do about their 20, 21, 22 year old children who are heroin addicted, who are running from rehab to rehab and motel to motel about cutting them off. So, you know, and it's hard because you haven't taught them personal responsibility. That was the fault of the parent. You haven't taught them that they're responsible for them. You've been assuming responsibility for them most of their life, right? That's what a lot of parents are doing. Mm -hmm. And so they're not prepared for the real world. They don't know how the real world works. Every time they were going to get in a fight with a kid in kindergarten, you were there hovering and stopped it. Every time uh, they, they um, you know, were having difficulty studying, you hired a tutor. You stepped in every single life problem for the kid's entire life. You've stepped in. And now, of course, the biggest problem of all heroin addiction, you're going to step in, step in, step in, step in. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to say, step out. You've been stepping in the whole time and it hasn't resolved anything. How do you help a person realize that they're responsible for themselves? You allow them to accept responsibility of their actions. It's very difficult yeah. for parents. I was just talking. To You're a mom. parent, Jack. Yeah, it's mom, very I, difficult for you. <laughs> yeah, well, this is where this is where it's hard I mean, because you've seen having a daughter. That's what we call it. Yeah, yeah, baby. daughter, um, a girl, kid, <laughs> girl, kid. The um, you know that the the damage that gets done to the psyche of these poor ladies that when they're coming in there and their only currency has been their body. And whereas the guys have done a lot of messed up things to people, and maybe they've gone down that road too. Um, Mostly a, robbing and stealing. Yeah, I mean that—that's a whole lot different than the damage done to the psyche of a young lady. So that's got to be rough. I don't have a daughter, so yeah. I—I I, I just think, um, yeah, everybody has to. There was an old saying, you know, do what you you can where you are with what you've got. So, so parents of young heroin addict girls are gonna have to, you know, do do what seems right. You're gonna have a lot of. Um, the tough love brigade, which I don't consider myself tough love. I consider myself personal responsibility. We live in a society where no one is responsible for anybody anymore. Anything, the individuals are not responsible. And I grew up in a generation where where you were responsible for you. You were responsible for your grades, not your ADHD, not your uh, kind of uh, bullshit diagnoses or you right. didn't have you, no. you couldn't learn you were responsible for learning what are you doing mike we're fine i got the phones the phones have mike mark engineer extraordinaire the future podcast engineer general of uh you know that's, there you go um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> all right wow. it's 11 28 we're just going to talk about this but but so Mike, maybe we should interview Mike for a second. Look at him, <laughs> father of three teenage girls walking out. No, never gonna date. He's not worried about it. <laughs> never gonna date. I have a hard enough time figuring out audio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Audio is hard enough. Parenting is like uh, way beyond. <laughs> I don't know. So, so but the today. thing is, like, I'm not a tough lover. I'm a personal responsibility, and sooner or later. We have to get back to a personally responsible society. 
I mean, that's really what it's about, is we've lost our way with when somebody becomes an adult, when somebody is responsible for them, their actions. I knew when I fucked up in school at 10, 11, 12, it's my fucking fault. Mm-hmm. Not my ADHD's fault, not my parents' fault, not the school's fault, not Obama's fault, not it probably, probably, it, it, it probably was Obama's fault, but but not anybody's fault, but me who didn't take my books home from school, who didn't make twenty minutes a night to study, mm-hmm. who didn't do what I was supposed to do. That's the society I grew up in. Fast forward to the society my older son grew up in. It's depression. It's ADHD. Mm-hmm. It's this. He's not in the right school setting. He needs an IEP. He needs this. He needs what a special, special, challenged. special boy. Right. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And lo and behold, every solution the school district had for him never worked. It never worked. No, but you know what? If, if they're <laughs> like my kids, I had a kid that totally manipulated that and knew how oh, to yeah, shut down a sure. classroom and get into the principal's office so that we could have another IEP meeting. <laughs> and it had the whole school on lockdown dependent on his actions that day. Whatever whatever mood he chose to bring to the school, the school reacted to his singular mood. That's so odd when such a little percentage of the school can run things. I know. And, and so that's that victim mentality or that poor thing mentality that we have that doesn't teach children along the road personal responsibility, right? It's all mitigated by circumstance. It's all gray. It's all moral relativism. And we have a train wreck of kids right now who grew up in that, who can't function in our society. They've, when you mentioned that thing of, it, of knowing how to manipulate the school and the IEP, now they know how to manipulate their insurance and the rehabs. They've transitioned. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're really good at, at yeah. handling, you know, bureaucracies. <laughs> extremely, extremely well. I, you know, that's when it was funny because I told you we were looking for a, a place for a guy. And the, the questions, how long before I can have my phone? How long before I, I can go on passes? How long before I can do this? How long before I can do that? The guy had a litany, uh, a barrage of questions before he'd even talked to the people at the place about their program he didn't it wasn't about the program it was about his rights his freedoms and i, I dude this is life or death for you you know yeah, you no, were on either. work release you were in jail on work release and you got loaded and got sent back what is going on well nobody says no anymore because there's so much competition for insurance dollars and rehabs i noticed that a long time ago i'm i'm not a big no sayer because i don't i i figure that guy's not going to make it he doesn't want to be sober fuck him i don't care uh, I, honestly, I have the ability to assess. If somebody's whining and complaining about their phone, they're probably not going to stay sober. They just aren't. And, you know, I hope they do. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm rarely wrong. See, when I, you're, I'm still more optimistic than when that. You're I like to think that something will happen when they're there that'll why? change their mind. What would make you think that? <laughs> because it did for me. Because I happened into... My my story is. True I don't think I, rehab gets people sober. No, we, that I, opens up a whole nother rabbit hole. I, I, I think stumbled people, into a detox. I didn't want to go. People have to there, detox. Let's talk about treatment for a second. This is my take. People have to detox. They have to medically stabilize. They have to. You won't be able to do it on the street. You can't do it at home. You need a place to go to get your get physically well from drug addiction, and get your wits about you, and then. After that, you should just figure it out. Rehab is the place where the contemplators go, right? 
you're contemplating whether you want to be sober or not, right? You're kind of thinking about it. Oh, maybe, maybe not. The, the people who are determined to stay sober don't need to go anywhere. And then what's interesting, you and I both work in rehabs. We worked in the same one for a while. Mm-hmm. Most staff only like the totally willing. <laughs> it's the craziest thing ever. I know. Those people that are totally right. willing and surrendered and will do and follow direction how, and do whatever you ask of them and don't ask about their phones and don't care about special treatment are just grateful for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and, and not being strung out. Those people don't need to be in rehab. The only people that the staff like really shouldn't be there. Rehab is a place where you go when you're thinking about getting sober. You're trying to think about what's gone on in your life. You're trying to measure whether you want to stop or not. That, the contemplative stage of addiction is what rehab is for. Right? Right. right. And that's, that's funny while, while we're there. I, uh, I don't know how many times I've talked to support staff. And they've been complaining about a problem client, a problem client, yeah. a real addict, yeah, a real just alcoholic, a contemplative that, drug addict. You no, know, but I mean, and they—they're on the fence, you know. And you can, when the people are on the fence, sometimes you can help them back towards your side. Sometimes you can push them over. But I said, if you don't like the the combative, argumentative, moody, up and down, then you're in the wrong business. You're yeah. never going to get well, paid enough. Well, there's a lot of people in you're the wrong business. You're never going to get paid enough to make it worth it. You're, you know, you can't make enough money to put up with that nonsense unless you love that person and you understand that disease. Because even the ones that want to stay sober are going to have days. Why? Here's an interesting thing I teach myself. Why do we have an anniversary date? That's what I call it. I don't like birthday. But why do we have an anniversary date? You can go back in, in, in AA literature and see the things in the grapevine that Bill Wilson wrote about. It's to remind us of that day in our lives, what we felt like, what happened the day before, the the kind of spot you were in on the first day you were sober. You're supposed to revisit that feeling, right? So when I'm talking to an addict who's in contemplative stage and causing trouble, of which there was a bunch of them at that rehab we worked together, and I like talking to them because I only talked about that day, that the the day that they got out of jail, you know, it was usually only two or three weeks before or a month before. I would talk about using and why, what was going on that made you come here. Not about the steps and the solutions. They're not ready for the solution. Too many 12-steppers and too many treatment center professionals try to shove the solution down addicts' throats who need to understand more the problem. Uh They're not ready for the solution. Yeah, they understand they have a demon, but they don't know what feeds the demon, and they don't need to deal with that yet. They just need to worry about getting their body well. I've heard you talk about that, and I, you know my my sponsor talks about that all the time. It takes like fucking five years. It, 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 you know, and you know, I go, well, how do I know when it's time for this guy to work the fourth step? How do I know when he's worked the third step? He'll say, you'll know he's worked the third he'll, step when they're ready to work a fourth. He'll ask. Then you take that step with them. You know, we don't push people. You know, another thing he says all the time is when when somebody says. Uh, you know, my sponsor made me do a third step. And, you know, and at the, the places that will require a third step before you can take a pass. Yeah, I went to a lot of those. And things like that. That's yeah, I would always insane. get that fucking paperwork done. Um, Bill would be pissed if he found out that... What about the, that there's paperwork yeah. to the third step? Yeah, the, the, there's the, just a, a prayer. Just some soul-searching <laughs> no, and a prayer is what you're supposed to do. There's a booklet. Well, there's, there's a booklet yes in the rehab no center. answers to give. And... <laughs> what, what is powerless? Yeah. You know how many booklets I've written 
I find some around in boxes because, you know, like I'll find my paperwork from Cryhelp or Hazelden. Hazelden does an interesting thing. They make you do a financial total of your using thus far and the consequences of your using, mm. divorce and all that, just to get a, a money, a, like a head around how much money you've spent. Because we understand that. Was that. fucking profound. We understand money. That's about it. We understand money and sex when we get here. <laughs> that's about it. We have those two on lock. The rest of it is unknown. Yeah. And that, that, that was a valuable thing. But now too often... I just see we're introducing young people to a solution. They don't even understand what the problem is. And maybe that's one of the mechanisms of treatment that is not being so effective on this generation of addicts. Let's not get into the solution. Let's try to teach them about the problem, which their brain has been hijacked by habitual use is a big one that I believe in. Uh I believe you habituate yourself into this, right? you it's as as it's so it's so strange how you can't look at yourself as this drug taking machine unless somebody lays it out for you like five years ago what were you doing and they go oh well, i was doing this i was doing that, and that i said well, so what happened between now you don't do shit now you've got no place to live now you're not in school now you don't have a job and you haven't for a long time you don't got a car you don't got shit going on that five years ago you had fucking shit going on. What's mm-hmm. what's the common denominator of right. this five-year journey? Well, well you don't understand. <laughs> my, my boss, my neighbors, my friends, my girlfriend, my parents, the victim mentality pops up. And that's I, I find myself saying that more often than not is, now you can't start getting well until you stop being a victim. Well, that's part of the personal and, responsibility. Until, until you have a little bit of accountability to see that you're the common denominator in every situation that we've had here. Now, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the theory that you were talking about. I don't know if you were speaking of the going from the top-down thinking to the, the bottom-up thinking where yeah. we, we scramble the frontal cortex and we start thinking with our amygdala, our midbrain. The amygdala, yeah. And we, we go into survival mode. And it just wants the, another hit. see the eat, fight, fuck thing, and that's, that's it. And when you attack my addiction, you're attacking me on a primal level. Those are the people that I, I that I like when they're fighting me in detox. They come in willing, but they get their feet under them about two weeks in. They still don't know what's going on, but now they're willing to fight me. Yeah. Those those guys, I get it because that's their back, their primal, they're fighting, their body's feeling better, and they don't want to be an addict. When I always think about what helped Dr. Bob, which is really the key to all of this, Bill Wilson, that first conversation they have, they had lasted five hours. Do you think it was all love and solutions? No, it was Bob saying all the things that had fa- he'd failed at. Uh-huh. And Bill saying, me too, me too, and telling stories of his failure. I'm telling you, the essence of t- one alcoholic helping another is not talking about the solution. It's talking about the incomprehensible demoralization. That's what bonds us. Right. The psychobabble bullshit, everybody has. No, All the, 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 that's been my thing for a long time. The, the steps now can be applied to any problem on earth. You know, emotions anonymous, food. Uh, this problem, there's an emotions anonymous. You're, you're what, powerless over your emotions <laughs> and you can't, can, whatever. I don't know. Uh-huh. I have the, the, the big book of emotions. <laughs> but there... Because the, what really the AA steps deal with is personality disorder and, and how to learn being a, to live comfort, more comfortably in the world, sober, 
and a narcissist or sober and a borderline. It really addresses personality disorder, which is in all of our society. It's not just specific to alcoholics and drug addicts, but really what's unique about us as a, as a, as a society is that we, the, the problem is so common. Mm-hmm. When we talk about the problem and the things we've done and the things we've felt, that identification is what is unique to the 12-step world, not the solution. The solution sounds like every Tony Robbins thing to me. So anyways, we need to do something about the kids. I want to start this kind of campaign. Just, I know about branding, right? Branding is what America's all based on. Branding is what rock and roll was. You know, Kiss, right? Remember Kiss? Oh, oh yeah. My favorite band growing up. Then you had Angel and Stars and the Gods because you wanted to get a name that was similar to that big band that everybody liked right. and maybe that could rise up. So that's what rehabs do now. Well, you Angel pick a was name. produced by Paul Stanley though, wasn't it? Was it? The first Angel. I loved band. Angel. It yeah. was my favorite band. Well, I, that's, uh, yeah, I did too, but I'm not going to admit to that. <laughs> where anybody can I can me. name all the members <laughs> of Angel. <laughs> Punky Barry Nettles. Brandt was the drummer. Frank Domino was the singer. Greg Jafria, who later formed Jafria, was the right. keyboard player. Punky Meadows was the guitar player. And Mick Jones, not of The Clash nor of Foreigner, wow. was the bass player. Wow. I can name all five members people, of, people of, can hear you. of Angel. Well, all three people can hear you right now. <laughs> I was the only punk rocker still going to Head East concerts. No way. So, so, but anyways, branding is something that's really important. And America has a very short attention span. So they got Target... They, they, they don't have enough space in their heads for four department store brands. So you had Target, Kmart, Walmart, you know, and, and, and somehow Sears. And, and a couple of them had to go. So Kmart's out, going out of business, mm-hmm. Sears going out of business, because America just likes two brands, Target, Walmart. You know what I mean? Want choice, just not so, a lot of choice. Because there's so right. much coming at you. I know you feel overwhelmed. All these brands coming at you all the time. The Honest Company and this company. I get them in emails all day long. Brand, brand, brand. So I just wanted to brand a simple thing. Don't die. I just want that to just ring out across the land. Like, kids, don't die. Parents, you know, don't, don't, don't die. This idea that we got to get the message out. Because immediately when you see don't die, it brings all thoughts of like, oh, kids are dying like crazy. My kid could die. I need to do something or not do something, right? Then a conversation begins just to brown this don't die brand message, right? And anybody can use it. That's one thing that I want you to know. I don't really know what don't die is. I just don't want kids to die of drugs. I want the death rate to go down. I don't have a, I'm not sewn to AA. I'm not sewn to Suboxone. I'm not sewn to anything. Whatever will work in your community, take the don't die moniker and just call you know, just get the message out. Because I believe the don't die message is so powerful that that it will communicate what we're trying to do, which is we want less young young people to die of drugs. That's it. Well, you know, we had that meeting last Thursday, right? That was yeah. just, just last Thursday, God, a lot's happened. But the... Uh, I invited, there were probably 15 or 20 people there that I was really excited to hear their input. And everybody from Everybody from teachers to uh, people that work in the business. I know a girl, Amy Pachos, who's very involved in the, the heroin sucks and we got we to gotta stop yeah. the, the, the deaths, you know, and it's just like, and I, I'm telling them this is more about a, 
we got to stop the bleeding before we treat the patient. This is yeah. this is total triage at this point, and it's sad. Like we've lost three since we've been sitting here. Yeah, you know, so it's a matter of stopping the bleeding and getting into the 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 fine tune later on. How are we gonna how are we gonna treat them? How what's the best most effective way to do the talk therapy? How do we get people to be accountable? All that's secondary to getting them to stop the the devastation. This is absolutely insane. How many good young people are, are and older people? I mean, old people are still worth something. But we're, I know, we're, but there's something really. I know there's this big death. You know, there's this other it, there's this other death rate amongst white males of a certain age in America. It's called the Wall Street Journal just just story. Well, the white males one of the leading causes of death is despair death. Suicide, alcoholism, drug depend- drug addiction, despair, death. They call. I think it. they're learning it from their kids. You're gonna blame the millennials yeah, yes. for the baby boomers' despair death. Right, because we wouldn't have done it. We weren't allowed to do it. You talk about the ADD. <laughs> the ADD when I was little was called DFL. It was you. You don't fucking listen. There was no second chance. Don't I mean, because I'm right. sitting here feeling my ADD. I'm looking outside like. Bob's like half goat and everywhere he lives is like on a mountainside somewhere. <laughs> and I'm so looking cool. at trees and birds and I'm not hearing sirens and helicopters and it's I know. It's, it's disturbingly peaceful. <laughs> I know. And so I'm I'm really enjoying the beauty and I'm distracted and that's my ADD but I know that I've got uh, like what you were talking about our use and the fact that we continue using despite its dire consequences That's is what addiction. brings us together. Everything else is the human condition. I don't know how many times I sit in meetings and I hear people talk about the human condition. And that's As not what we're there and for. And call it alcoholism. That's not what it is. Gloria Scott used to say, to the proportion of your arrogance will be the degree of your suffering in order to become teachable. Right? Wow. So really that's arrogant that's people suffer have to go in and out and suffer tremendously to become teachable. Some people, I have two friends, Mr. No, Mark. Mark. First time John. he ever tried, been sober ever since. Right? Well, I, I, I went for that. nine years and I would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Are you trying to tell me he's not arrogant because of that? Is that no, he had on? beaten the no. arrogant. When you get kicked out of Lonnie's Russell for using drugs, that, that, beats the, that beats the arrogance out of you. We were talking about that the other night. Mike Mark, the only person there was, I mean, people died of drugs in Lonnie's Russell, but they weren't kicked out. It's not, I don't think that's funny. <laughs> Actually, it's pretty dark. Mike, actually, we had to we had to let him go because of his drug problem. <laughs> so, oh no! So, anyways, and and my friend talked about it in between hits of crack. <laughs> they talked about your drug yeah, problem while we were firing him. We were smoking crack. fuck up. No, we were saying it right to him. No. Mike, you just not, you're too irresponsible. We can't depend on you. Take it into crack. <laughs> yeah, but you're you're a social so, crack user. So, There's anyways, him like when I heard just like just started going and I saw him and he was so I was just like, you know, and I've been going to twenty rehabs and now Mike's sober. I'm like, how the tell me what they? I just go to this thing on Monday nights and just uh, you know fell in with some guys and I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about? I've gone to twenty rehabs. <laughs> I've been in like ten sober livings for months and months. It's not as simple as just you're going to it, a you're meeting. Doing it wrong. <laughs> you're doing it wrong. <laughs> this isn't That's gonna... why you're succeeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we should have given him a pamphlet. No, I remember I was high or like had 13 days and Mike was like a couple years sober and he told me he only goes once a week on Monday nights. And I'm like, oh my God, he's doing it totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're supposed to go every he's doing, day. <laughs> he's doing it wrong. <laughs> he's doing it wrong. Okay. So there's that. And then my other friend, Barry... First, first time he goes to treatment, it works. And he's a really difficult person, very strongly opinionated. And he just said, huh. I went in there. I realized they know more about how to stay sober than I do. And I just did what they told me to do. But that's so, not very alcoholic. That's not my approach to things. No. <laughs> and what's funny is that's not millennials' approaches to things. So they are, I, I wish somebody was tracing the data of, of these over, overdose deaths. And Double B was one of the scariest guys to hang out yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Double B was his nickname. Why? Because his last name was Blumberg. Okay. Or Double B. Okay. Right. So he, and, and the, so now I got two of the, two, two people that I know, right? A third, Anthony. I got three people that I know that use drugs. Some are ex, as bad as me. One is worse than me. And they're all sober, and I keep going to rehab and not being sober. And still I would think, eh, they don't really do AA right. <laughs> that is no, no, that's that it. is the self-delusion that alcoholics have. And when you have that, I want to argue with you, I want to play, I want to have fun with you. But when you have no interest in life and you're just, you have no hope, I ask millennials all the time, I'm going to do a group later tonight with like 16, 20 of them. I ask them like, what are your goals in life? What do you want to do? And they don't know. Well, get out of rehab. Yeah, I need yeah. to get out of rehab. This it, place sucks. Yeah, this place. But they want to get into the right sober living where they can co-ed sober living. And it's all short-term goals. And I go like, no, but like, don't you want to have your own pad and your own get all your shit from your parents' garage and like get on with life? And I swear to God, they they contemplate it but and they'll give you lip service like yeah i want to do that but none of their focus is determined on that you know what i mean they're they haven't not, had to they, yeah they don't have they to. haven't had well to. as soon as the it's insurance hard. racket collapses well, from all this treatment but both of my both of my older sons have your have one the, son has a pad though yeah but they they've had to look at life and step back because i was able to get out of the way as a parent and allow them to learn their own lessons. How did your son get a pad? How did he get that apartment? Tristan lives with his girlfriend. And another roommate. But they, they, pay, they roommate. pay rent. Yeah, they I know. They pay rent, and he's doing, he's doing amazingly well. I mean, how the same way the same way we did. The slow, hard way. He came up real slow. See, parents and, and don't want that. They want solutions quick and easy and be done with it. That's the parents of the kids coming out of rehab. Like, right. I always say, well... Like, you know, and the rehabs confuse everything. I say, well, I mean, he'll just have to get a job and get a roommate or something. And then the only people they know are either they're using buddies or the newly sober people they just met. Then the treatment center says, oh, you shouldn't move in with people that are using. Oh, you shouldn't move in with people that are newly sober. And then they're fucked and they have no way to get a place to live that people will sign off on and say, hey, you're doing a great job. Who, who do you live with if it's not newly sober people? That's who I lived with. They're the only people that we wanted. We, they, but we treatment got this centers crap don't recommend in, that. No, in Long Beach, in the in the gay ghetto down there. On the like booby trap? Did you live on the booby <laughs> trap? No, you know that place? No, I don't know that place. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. The, uh, but we, we got this crap apartment for $600 a month and put yeah. three of us in it. 
Yeah. And and we worked in treatment and we stayed sober and it was great. I learned how to write a check. I learned how to pay a bill. And my, my folks were more than happy to step back and not have a, any part of it. And I'm so glad they did that. I'm so glad they, you know, I thought I was being abandoned. Yeah. You know, how dare you? It's your fault. I'm like this. How yeah. dare you? But you know what? They, they didn't have they didn't have guilt. I got a good one. I got a good one for it's their fault. I'm like this. Well, you're the one suffering, not them. So who gives a fuck who's to blame for it? Right. Yeah, I'm to blame for it. Who gives a fuck? You're the one suffering. That 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 having someone to blame is another part of this whole psychopathology of this society, where everybody's a victim. As long as you have a good excuse, as long as you have somebody to blame, it justifies you living like a haphazard miserable life mm-hmm. in your own personage right i just i never have gotten that i knew it was my parents fault but they were dead what the fuck did it matter no eventually, they were dead eventually it's you. i was suffering right eventually it's you eventually it comes back to you what are you going to do about it now okay that's horrible that happened you know you do the talk therapy you work through it and to me that's where Recovery is kind of a neat little estuary where you can kind of, you know, gather yourself mentally and learn how to interact with people without talking about dope and learn how to go to meetings and behave. If it's done correctly, it can it can have positive benefits. It works all the time. The, The idea is, you know, the contemplation kids are going to AA and contemplation is not tolerated much in the 12 step world anymore. It used to be tolerated. I drank beer in AA meetings. Nobody said anything. No, you could I, hang around. I, the I'd argue about God forever in a day, and people day. just laugh at me and take me out to dinner and say, "Keep coming back." That's gone. It's yeah. worked the steps, or I don't want to have nothing to do with you. Yeah, and yeah. that that's so dismissive, and it's not really that interesting. Well, it's so much more interesting to like have a debate with these older guys that were so funny and so smart and had such great insight about how I would turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him, even though I was an atheist. That was an important pizza dinner to have, right? <laughs> right. But now it's intolerated. It's not tolerated to right. argue or, or be resistant or whatever. It's only surrender or you're, I don't want nothing to do with you. And that... That's where they're feeding into the rehabs. The rehabs are this big fishing net. Then the boats that they're scooped up into and dumped into are the 12-step, it's the 12-step world, right? Mm. And, and for some reason, it's not working. The, 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 scoop, the, the treatment is not making the addict contemplate sobriety or contemplate Going, what you how miserable using is not doing a good job of of keeping the addicts on point. They're really indulging of who's to blame, why you're like this. It's either a psychopathological reason or a neurobiological reason or a a poor parenting reason. Right? It's never right. the fault of the addict anymore in treatment. Like you're a fuck up. You're a loser. That's what they called me. Right. No, and <laughs> and, and it was right. I mean, I think you hit on that on. Uh... Thursday, and that's why I uh, I like hearing you talk because it it reaffirms a lot of what I believe, and the whole idea of the insurance getting so hyper involved in early sobriety and people getting diagnosed with with pretty grave mental illnesses, yeah, I know. and <laughs> and they're they're still in their first thirty days. They're not even detoxed, and they're given a 
a shit ton, a litany of, of drugs that they need to take based on vocal answers. Yeah, yeah. You know, a diagnosis based on their own answers when they don't even know where they are yet. Yeah. Their body hasn't even, you know, if you're picking up a, a diagnosis or if you picked up a diagnosis in recovery in the first six months, I suggest you talk to somebody. You know why dual diagnosis is so popular? So one theory of psycho, psych, psychoanalytic theory, one theory is that poor parenting, trauma, abuse causes ad addiction, right? Mm -hmm. That's harsh on the parents. Parents don't like that, right? It's hard to hear, like, you were a shitty parent, that's why your kid's like this, whatever. That's the hidden, like, Can I interrupt that real quick? Is that is that you're discussing along the lines of, like, a genetic predisposition plus trauma usually puts kids in this position? But, but it's the, the steward of the, of, the, of, the, of the child is the parent. Right. So, and they're usually the ones paying for treatment. Right. So, in... In, from the psycho, psychoanalytic side of things, they're the ones that caused it. They didn't protect their child. They didn't, they didn't, yeah, yeah. Oh, they didn't, so watch this. The neurobiological explanation, you're bipolar, you're schizoid, you're, you have major depression, you have depression and, 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 and ADHD, Parents love that because mm -hmm. who's to blame for that? Nobody but God. Well, that's God's they're, fault. They're genes. They're that's, still, that's no, God made them like that. Okay. And man's going to fix them with pharmaceutical drugs. You know what I you mean? Know, and, that's, and that's so sad because so many of the drug-induced psychoses actually mimic uh, the, yeah, the that, yeah. you know, what would go into a normal diagnosis. If, if you're having those same... Uh, if you have the same affect six months in, nine months in, a year in, then it's something to look at. But a lot of the um, therapists and doctors, they spend five minutes with somebody and they don't understand the, the amount of damage the drugs have done and that what they're seeing is a drug-induced psychosis, not a no, true what psychosis. The, but what, what, what modern so treatment is is an either-or. So the reason why somebody's an addict is because they're bipolar. I think they're two separate issues. They mm -hmm. are bipolar and they're a drug addict. And the idea that you just get treatment for your bipolar disorder and get told, you know, oh, you'll be all right then, or you go to sober living Take or kick the can down the road yeah. about addiction. Addiction is a profound, deadly problem. And that's, I'll wrap it up with this. I want to thank Chuck for coming. This is our first episode of, of Don't Die. And I'll wrap it up with this is, listen, you, very rarely do people die from psychiatric illness. Very rarely. Very often, people die of alcoholism. So sure. I don't really care what the diagnosis is. I know if you've got addiction, it's either going to kill you, make you a prostitute, put you in prison, make you steal money out of your mom's purse when you're 35 years old like I did. It was pathetic, really. I caught myself in the mirror of the bathroom where my mom hid her purse stealing money out of a person i could see myself looked in the mirror yeah, and i was like holy fuck <laughs> oh, no. i didn't just see myself 35 years old stealing money out of my mother's purse i'm gonna block that out so it makes you do all kinds of crazy shit and you need to remember the crazy horrible demoralizing debasing things that you do to motivate you to change that's what recovery is the, you know, the rest of it's all just uh, like everybody else, but...
pitiful incomprehensible demoralization. I know it's horrible to try to uh, help facilitate for your kids. All, all you got to do is live your life and addiction will do that to your kids and then they will either break free and become sober. You have to have faith in something. I think pitiful incomprehensible demoralization leads to sobriety. I think without pitiful incomprehensible demoralization, the person will rarely get sober. Okay. Can I, can I right? throw an nugget on top of that? And the one thing that I got from... <clears throat> now, me, pitiful Diablo. incomprehensible demoralization is relative to each individual. Right. Mine right. might be second dick for crack, but <laughs> but other people's they don't that's have a, to go that some far. Some people that's a good Saturday. <laughs> um, the uh, you know what 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 I what I learned in the Al Anon is just one of the few things I carry with me is that I don't go out of my way to make any situation worse, nor do I go out of my way to save them from a bad situation. It's yeah. that simple. Rescue. Then I then I'm allowing them to be accountable for their own actions. I don't. I don't go out, you know, if they're being loud, I don't, I'm going to call the police and create a bigger problem. I don't create a bigger problem, but I allow them to suffer the, the consequences. Yeah, just don't answer your phone, parents. I'm telling I you. I leave my I've phone downstairs it. still because I don't, don't know answer. what's going to happen. You the never know what's going to happen in the middle of the night and it's not nothing you can do about it anyways. All right, see you later. Bye. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.